Uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. We're going to start a new series. Uh, for the next 12 to 13 weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so for the next, really our fall series is going to be about uh, the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so the series title is called Deliver Us. And so uh, this morning, that's the title of the message as well, which is Deliver Us. I don't know if you are familiar with the Prince of Egypt. There's a song called Deliver Us. I was jamming out to that this morning uh, to get my, my mind set and ready for uh, today. Just the understanding for this series is that uh, this is what God does and this is what God is doing to deliver his people, right? And so uh, that's kind of the theme that we're going to talk about today is the main theme of this entire series. And so Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to read a pretty good chunk of chapter 3, and so bear with me. So if you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. We're going to cover really the entirety of the chapter, uh, chapter 3, but uh, this is kind of the main text for this morning. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7. The Word of the Lord says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you're so good to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that your hand would just be with us today. Lord, that it would not be my words spoken, but yours spoken through me. That those who would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word, that your word would be preached to open hearts this morning. All of the glory, all of the honors to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So like I said, we're starting a new series this morning, and And for the next 12 weeks or so, we're going to be talking specifically about the 10 plagues of Egypt. Sometimes you'll look at the the story of the Exodus, and and oftentimes people will either talk talk about the burning bush, and then they will end, or, or then they jump straight to the parting of the Red Sea. But the reality is, is there's a lot of time in between the burning bush bush situation, the burning bush conversation that Moses has that we see in this passage, and the parting of the Red Sea from 
uh, from the Egyptians, or sorry, from the Israelites leaving Egypt. It's important that, that there's, there's time that goes in the middle of this, and, and it's not just simply God judging Egypt. That's not what's happening during this time. That's part of it, but, but there's something more, there's something deeper for us to understand about the ten plagues. And so that's why we're going to spend so much time. We're going to spend one week on each plague. We're going to talk about what that plague means and, and, and why it is that, that, God, that God chose that plague. But this morning, I, I want us to kind of have an overview of, of really what's happening in this entire book of Exodus. If you read the first two chapters of Exodus, you'll know that, that there was a pharaoh that came into power that did not know Joseph. If you were here earlier this year, we did an entire series on Joseph, the story of Joseph. And we talked about the main themes through Joseph. And, and we know in, in Genesis ends with the people of God, with Jacob's household settling in Egypt because of a great famine. There came a time when, when the Pharaoh did not know Jacob's household, didn't know Joseph. And, and so because of that, he enslaved the Israelites. And he enslaved all the Hebrews because he realized, he saw that they were great in number and he was afraid that they would overthrow him and so he enslaved them. Not only that, but Exodus opens with, with the, the killing of, of the male children of newborn babies in the Hebrew uh, areas of Egypt. That's because, again, the Pharaoh was afraid that they would grow too strong and mighty in number and overthrow him. And so Moses was the only one that was saved during that genocide. And during this time, then we see Moses, he grows up and, and through a, an act of God, he ends up in Pharaoh's household. And he grows up in Pharaoh's household and, and then through that he ends up uh, accidentally, or, or he ends up killing, we don't know if it's an accident or not, but he ends up killing uh, an Egyptian slave driver. And because of that, he has fear and he runs away. And as he runs away, he, he comes in contact with Midianites, and, and that's where he meets his wife Zipporah, and that's where he meets his uh, Jethro, his father-in-law. And the Midianites play a role throughout the entirety of the Pentateuch after that. And then one day, this is Moses, he's becoming a shepherd, and, and he's a shepherd within uh, the Negev is where he's at. And as he's shepherding his flock, he sees that there's a, a bush that is burning in, in this cave. And he realizes something, that this bush isn't just burning, but it's burning and not being consumed. That it continues to burn over and over and over again. Usually if a bush is lit on fire, you got maybe a couple minutes of a burn and then it's just smoldering at that point. But this is a bush that continues to burn and, and, and the Lord is, is in the bush. This is, this is kind of one of our first glimpses of, of it's called a theophany, the, the vision of God. This all-consuming fire is yet not consuming the bush. And, and he calls to Moses and Moses goes into this cave and and, and, and the bush, and, and through the Lord, the Lord speaking through the bush, saying, hold on, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is sacred. It's holy ground. You cannot step foot on it with, with shoes. 
And so he takes off his shoes and he goes and he begins to speak. And this is the conversation that he's having with the Lord. That he's, he, Moses is saying and, and speaking to him and, and God is speaking back to Moses and he's conversing with the Lord. And this is what the Lord is saying in this passage. He's, he's saying that he's, he's seen his people. Not only that, but, but the, his people are crying out to be delivered from the Egyptians. They've been in slavery. They've been in bondage. They've been in a place that they're not supposed to really be. They weren't supposed to ever go to Egypt. The, the place that they were supposed to be was the place that was promised them, the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so they're calling out to God, and for generations they've cried out to the Lord, asking Him to deliver them, asking Him to, asking him to, to free them from the Egyptians so that they can go to the place that He's chosen for them. And in this moment... God chooses Moses and calls him. Not only that, but this is the first time that God reveals his name in Scripture. Moses, at the very end, he said, at the very end of this passage, he says, what, what, what am I supposed to tell them? Who, who sent me? Am I just supposed to say the, the God of our ancestors? Is that what I'm supposed to say? What, what if they ask me your name? Now, during this time, there is a whole pantheon of gods. And so maybe he's thinking about this. He's thinking, well, who, who do I say? Is it Ra? Is it, it, who, who is it? that I, is it? Is it Osiris? Is that the one that, that I, should, uh, I should say sent me? And God just simply responds with his name, which is Yahweh. It means I am. And this is one of the most profound and powerful names that God has. I am. This is not just only his name, but it's also his character. That God's name is not just revealed in him saying, I am, tell them I am has sent you. But it's also his character that is being revealed as well. It is God's very nature simply to exist. It's very interesting when we think about it. You, you cannot, uh, we as, as temporal human beings, individuals that have a beginning and an end, cannot describe God without describing Him in a, in a form of time. Try it. God saying, I am, that means that He simply exists. It is His very ca character of existing. That means that He cannot not exist. Does that make sense? When in Scripture, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. That's the very first part. But the problem with that is that it's explaining God with time, beginning, right? And so we can't do it, and it's one of those characters of God that He simply exists, that He is holy, that He is everything, that He is outside of time, that He is timeless. He is. And so this is a, a very serious declaration of who God is. Because all the other gods have a beginning. Gods were created in some way or, or whatever that looks like. And gods have an end in some way. And yet God is declaring to Moses that I am. I am. 
I exist. I am timeless. I do not have a beginning nor an end. I am, I am greater than anything else. I am stronger than anything else. I am holier than anything else. I am. And the I am is speaking to Moses. And he says that I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8 says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then verse 10, So now go, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. What God is saying here is, He's saying that I am the creator of all things, the master of the universe. I have seen my people suffer. I've seen my people in bondage. I have seen my people in misery. And I am concerned. And out of my compassion, I am committing to saving my people. There's two things about the beginning of this series that we need to understand. There's two things that, that will be woven through this series. One of them is a main theme throughout this entirety of the first part of Exodus. Really, the entirety of Exodus and probably the entirety of Scripture, if I'm being honest. But it is this, is that God is the one that is doing the work. See, in this passage, God is, is not just sitting there and saying, okay, um, I see my people. They're, they're really in, in a bad spot right now. It's, it's really rough for them right now. And so, you know what, Moses? Why don't you go down and free them? No, that's not what he says. He says, I see where my people are at, and I will free them. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And because I've come down to rescue them, Moses, I'm going to send you as my tool. I'm going to send you as my spokesperson. You are going to be the person that, that I use. It's my power through you that's going to make this happen. And so woven through this entire series and really the entirety of Scripture, we see that God is doing something, that God is the one that is moving, that it is by God's power that His people are delivered. We see that throughout all of Scripture, don't we? The very beginning of time in Eden, Adam and Eve fell, and what did God do? God promised them that there would be one that comes to deliver them, the Messiah. What happens when, when God's people are in Egypt? We know the end of the story. We've all been to Sunday school. At least most of us have. We've probably seen the flanographs. We know God delivers his people. He rescues his people. God sends his one and only son that whoever believe in him would not perish but be free, delivered, have eternal life. And so main theme throughout this entire series is simply that God is the one doing the work. God is the one showing himself, is showing his power, is showing his holiness, is showing that he is the only and one true living God that's one of the main themes through this entire series. And we'll see this. Why? Because each plague speaks 
directly to different gods of Egypt and how God is better than them. And so the theme of this is that God is the one that is doing the work. God's people cannot deliver themselves. God has to do it. If God's people were to deliver themselves, they may have gotten as far as the Red Sea, but they would have either drowned or been killed. They may have even made it all the way to the desert and decided that they were going to deliver themselves not just out of Egypt, but to the promised land. But multiple times they said, let's just go back to Egypt. And that leads me to the second point that we see here. God just doesn't want to deliver his people from something, but he wants to deliver them to something as well. God doesn't just want to free his people, but he also wants to give them a better life. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not that God is saying, uh, surely I'm coming down, right, to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and that's it. It's not, it doesn't end there. What God says is, I'm coming down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians, and then I will going to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the purpose of God freeing his people and delivering his people is not simply just to drop them in the middle of the desert and say, go for it. But it's also to bring them to a place where they can thrive. It's not just simply to deliver us and then drop us into the frying pan, so to speak. But it's to bring us to a place where we can thrive. See, throughout the entirety of this series, we're going to see this theme that God is doing the work, that God is greater, that God is better. I feel somewhat like a broken record because I feel like I've preached on that quite a bit. And yet at the same time, it is so important for us to understand this, that the main theme of Scripture, one of the main themes of all of Scripture, is that God is better, is that Jesus is greater, is that He is worthy, is that He is exalted. All of those things. You cannot read a passage of Scripture and not find that theme, that God is better. Or you'll see the vice versa, that, that humans are not as good, and they need God. God is better. And so this, this morning, the question that I have for us is, where does your freedom come from? Where does your freedom come from? See, our freedom only comes from the Lord. I think it's very important for us to understand this and to get this. Is that every single one of us in this room, we are free from sin because of Christ. That we are free from anxiety, free from depression, free from addiction, free from, uh, from ailment. We're free from all of those things only by the power of the Lord. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot free ourselves. You will not be free from your own work. 
You will not be free from just a change in scenery, not from a new relationship, not from a job. You're only free when your freedom comes from the Lord. It's so important for us because how many of us in this place have chosen to take up our freedom and our identity in something other than God? How often do we put our identity and our freedom in our own work? What we can do? How can we get out of this? How can we overcome this? If I just put my head down and just just work my butt off. I'm not sure you're supposed to say that from pulpit, but. If I could just work harder, if I could just be better, I'll be able to free myself. Friends, brothers, and sisters, that may be the American dream that you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps, but that does not work very well in the spiritual realm. You may be able to do that in the physical realm. You may be able to get up and provide for your family and work hard and all of those things to set yourself up for success. You may be able to do that, but spiritually you cannot do it. There will never be enough righteousness on your end to equal your salvation. Scripture even says that. Isaiah 64 says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Romans says that each and every one of us, we are all sinners, fallen, evil, wicked individuals. There is no one righteous, not even one. God is the one who saves. God is the one who frees. God is the one who delivers. And I wonder how many of us in this place are struggling. You would say, Pastor, I I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm free. But the reality is, is you're not walking in that freedom. You think you have freedom. Because Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And the reality is, is you're fighting him for the keys to your cell. You've chosen to stay in bondage because you want to do it yourself. Or or maybe you've chosen to stay in bondage because you you just really, you know, if, if you just have a better relationship with somebody, then maybe it'll get better. If you just, you know, if if you just do a couple things differently, if you just marry this person, if you start dating this person, if you start having these friends, then maybe life will get better. And you think that a change in relationship automatically means that, that somehow you're going to be free. And as good as godly friends are to have around you and relationships are, godly relationships are to have around you, it is not enough. Only God can free you. You I I think it's so important for us, even, you know, if, if you're struggling with an addiction, 
so many times we, we think only in the physical side of it where it's, well, I'm going to try my hardest to resist, and I'm going to have an accountability partner, and I'm going to go through all these things, and I'm going to go. There's nothing wrong with those things. Try your hardest. Have an accountability partner. All of those things. But if the first thing you do is run to your accountability partner instead of the Lord, then you're probably not going to be free. I'm serious. Trust me, I've tried it. That all, you can have all the accountability in the world. At the end of the day, if God isn't changing your heart, you will never be free. It's good to have those things. But it first and foremost must be the Lord. Your freedom's not going to come from a job. It's not going to come from a, from a paycheck. It's not going to come from, well, if I just move jobs over here, then maybe I'll be free. Then maybe I'll be able to do these things. Maybe I'll actually have an identity in these things. And, and the reality is, is that no matter how many jobs you change, your identity will always be that you're an orphan needing a father. Will always be that you need your heavenly father. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your title. So often we get caught up in that. I must be called this. I have to have this title. I have to have this position. And and we think that just because the title changes, we suddenly change. And the reality is, is, man, your giants will follow you everywhere you go. We think that maybe a change in scenery will happen. And so what happens is sometimes, and this isn't us, but, but sometimes people bounce church to church. Because they think if they could just sit in a church and, and the spirit would move just right and, and there would be just enough organ and there'd be just enough singing and, there, and there'd be a four-part harmony, then, then maybe I'll change. It'll change. Or maybe we, we've been sitting there and... and Man, you think of a change of scenery, of, of bouncing between different churches or, or moving to a different place, and, and you think that the change of scenery is going to do something. It's going it's to free you. It'll be a fresh start. It'll be great. And the reality is, again, your giants follow you everywhere you go. You can move to the other side of the country. You can go to a church with all of those things all the bells and whistles. You can go to a church where the Spirit is falling every single day. Your giants will still follow you. It's the reality of it. How often I've had conversations with people of just, well, I'm going to this church because that last church, I, and I, maybe I'm just ranting at this point, but hear me. Just sit. <laughs> Seriously. No, it's none of us in this room. We all love Emmanuel. We love being here. But just, just for a moment, when you get to that point of saying, I'm not being fed, maybe you need to change your diet and not your location. Maybe it's time to... to 
have some vegetables for a little bit. They're not all that bad. It tastes pretty good with ranch. Maybe it's time to start using that jaw to chew some meat instead of drinking milk. I'm not sitting here and saying that my preaching is some, you know, wagyu steak. Here we are. I'm not saying that I preach prime rib. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does that and praise God for those things. And sometimes it's just celery. It's mostly water. And here we are. But just sit. Just let the Holy Spirit do something. My prayer every single day for you is that the Holy Spirit would move in your life. Is that God would reveal himself to you in a, in a way, in a deeper way, in a stronger way, in a more powerful way than you've ever seen him before. That's my prayer for you. Not that you would be used mightily by him. Because here's the thing, you will be if he reveals yourself, himself to you in a deeper way. And so the theme for this entire series, and I may sound like a broken record for the next 12 weeks, but just sit. Because God is greater. God is better. And maybe you've come into this place and you've sat here for a while and you've wanted freedom and you haven't gotten it. And the reality is, is you think that freedom comes from any of these other things except for the Lord. You want freedom from being angry all the time? The Lord can take care of that. You want freedom from your addiction? The Lord can take care of that. You want freedom from that broken heart because somebody hurt you so deeply. Maybe it's, maybe it's a church that's hurt you. Maybe it's a church leader that's hurt you deeply. Those hurts are so deep, and yet the remedy for that is being in the place where the Lord moves and letting him move. Letting him heal. Letting him speak been struggling with anxiety for a long time. You, some of you have been struggling with this identity crisis that you want to be perceived as something that you're not, and you've done every single thing in your power to make sure that you're perceived that way. Maybe it's that you're perceived in one location differently than others because you want to be perceived as holy, you want to be perceived as righteous, you want to be perceived as all these things. And so you put on a face, you put on a mask, and, and you put on this identity that is completely fake. And the Lord sees you. And the Lord knows exactly who you are. And the Lord wants to give you an identity in Him. See, that's the thing is like so many times we think that we can 
fake it till we make it in the body of Christ. And the reality is you can't fake being made new. You can't. You can't fake being a new creation. It doesn't work like that. You can fake being a holy roller. You can even fake being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You could fake being used powerfully by the Holy Spirit. Can't fake being made new. And if you truly want that identity that God has created you to have, it comes from being made new. It comes from turning to Him. And so I don't know <clears throat> what you've come in with today. I don't know whether your marriage is on the rocks and it's just been really rough. I don't know if you're dealing with depression or anxiety. I don't know if you're dealing with, with an identity crisis where you don't know who you are. I don't know if you've been struggling with something and maybe you've been struggling with it your entire life and, and now all of a sudden it's, it's become clear to you by the Holy Spirit today. I don't know what it is, but I do know the one that can free. I don't know what it is that you've came in here with. Maybe it is an ailment. I do know the one that can heal. I do know the one that can free. I do know the one that can give identity. I do know the one that can restore and make new. I do know the one, not just does he want to deliver you and give you freedom from those things, but he also wants to take you to a place that's better. He wants you to take you to a place that thrives. He wants to take that loneliness that you're feeling, make you a new creation, and surround you with the family of God so that way you have a family now. He wants to take that, that hurt and that heartache from a church that has betrayed you. He wants to take that and redeem that through a church that will stick by you. He wants to take that anxiety and depression he wants to heal it, and not just simply heal it, but He wants to make you an instrument to deliver others from that too. See, God is not simply just a God who saves us from, but He's also a God who saves us too. So not only is there freedom, but there's a better place. Again, I don't know what you came in with, but there's a better place. There's something more for you that he wants. As long as you still draw breath, God's not finished with you. God has more for you. God has greater things for you. And so the question is, again, who 
Who's the one that's giving you this freedom? And then also, will you allow him to free you? Will you allow him to do that? There's nothing I can say, nothing I can do. It has to be you. You have to be the one that allows him to free you. You have to be the one that allows him to make you new. You have to be the one to do that. And so will you do that this morning? Let's pray.